Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is Don Van Zant, uh, host of the Lost Mission Podcast, and this is the Lost Mission Podcast. You know what we do here. Uh, we have a goal, and our goal is to help believers like you and myself uh, focus on our mission. Our mission is making disciples, knowing the gospel, sharing the gospel. Uh, that's what we do. That's what we're going to do today. But um, today's episode is actually going to be significantly different than many other episodes that I've recorded on this podcast and for this show. I'm going to do a response to a fairly popular holiness podcast. Uh, The name of that show is called The Two Peas on a Pod podcast. They recently released an episode where they went through multiple various holiness standards, talked about them. They had a special guest on Tim Brim. The episode that we're going to review today they actually went through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have been around Holiness Church at all, you know that is the chapter that they, they go to to deal with the, the topic and the issue of hair on both men and women. And uh, I, I really want to give these guys credit for all their hard work. I really want to um, you know, give a shout-out to them for, for putting in some, some in-depth study and really uh, doing their best to extrapolate truth from that passage. I just can't. (laughs) I mean, I I honestly would not feel safe in recommending uh, that podcast to anyone. Uh, And and I don't say that to sound abrasive or like I'm trying to be argumentative. That's not what I'm trying to do. I really want to come at this topic today with as much love in my heart as I can. I, I want to do it the right way. Now, there probably will be some humor involved with this episode just because... You have to snicker at these conversations. You have to just you have to get a good laugh out of it. Otherwise, uh, you'll just be angry. So there may be some jokes involved that happens, <laughs> but I want to do this in love. I really do. All right. So today's episode it's a lot different. Like I said, we're doing our series on holiness. We're talking about holiness on my show. We're going to pause on the topic, uh, or or as we go through the book, the pursuit of holiness by Jerry Bridges. We're going to pause that. Come back to that at a later date and do this episode where we're going to respond to the two peas on a pod. All right, I don't know the host of two peas on a pod at all, so this isn't a uh, character assassination attempt on my part. Austin Griffiths and Zach Cordell, I don't know these guys. So if this video or podcast makes its way back to them, fellas, this isn't anything personal. I would love to shake your hand someday, get to know you, maybe sit down and, and share a meal with you. Nothing personal here, uh, so I don't know them. This isn't a personal attack. It's a discussion around some claims they make about Scripture. That's what this is about. Their guest on the show is Pastor Tim Brim, pastors a church in Arkansas, and I, I don't know Tim all that well. I have been in service with him a few times in the past. I believe I've heard him preach a time or two, but I don't know him. So again, none of this is personal. Um, each interaction that I had with him and his family, uh, it was always very cordial. Uh, again, this is not personal. Uh, this, this is just, it is what it is. So we're going to go through their, their episode today. Let me give you this quick disclaimer. On this beautiful Friday, mid-morning, February the 17th, at the time of this recording, it's a little chilly outside. You may hear my heater running in the background. So if you hear that, please overlook any audio issues we may run into, but um, it's a great day. It's a beautiful day here in Bristow, Oklahoma, and I'm excited to share this episode. Disclaimer, here is the disclaimer. If you find yourself offended by conversations that are a bit critical of a doctrinal position, 
Or, if you have deep convictions surrounding the topic of head coverings or hair, I want to invite you right here and right now to turn this show off and don't even listen to another word I say. If you have some very deeply held convictions coming from 1 Corinthians 11 about either your hair or head coverings, please, by all, by all means, this episode is not for you, and, and I don't want you to take offense to it. My goal is not to offend a weaker brother or to cause anyone to stumble. That's not what I'm getting at. I only hope to replace some bad theology with a good. I see far too many people that have been hurt by this type of teaching that we're going to discuss. And not only do they leave the holiness movements, not only do they leave these various movements of holiness that exist, they leave the faith altogether. And, and I'm grateful, on the one hand, for people that remove bad teaching. I really am. But we don't want to see people leaving the faith. All right. While I'm grateful uh, for all that are removing bad teaching from their lives, uh, we must do more than just remove bad teaching. To only remove bad teaching is deconstruction. We must replace bad teaching with good. That's what we might refer to as uh, reconstruction. All right. So we don't want to deconstruct. We want to reconstruct our faith. We want to get back to solid, sound teaching on Scripture. And there's just, in, in this episode, this is just a lot of bad Bible study. It really is. It's just bad Bible study. I'm going to give that to you up front. I'm going to be critical. It's bad. It's bad here. I don't know how long this, this episode is going to take today. <laughs> it, it, it may take an hour. It may take two or three hours. I don't know. I may have to pause in the middle and go uh, take a break. Um, you know, my camera may die. There could be anything. So uh, this may be even split up into a couple, two or three episodes. I honestly do not know. But back to the Bible study issue. There's a lot of bad Bible study that goes on here. But if you're interested in good Bible study, I actually have a few book recommendations. I'll try to leave a link to those books inside of the description of this video, inside the show notes. That way, you can go and find some books that will help you along the way as you study your Bible. All right, first recommendation is Exegetical Fallacies by D.A. Carson. Uh, this is a great book. It is very specific. It deals with multiple passages of Scripture and kind of works through the fallacies surrounding those, those issues of interpretation. So Exegetical Fallacies by D.A. Carson, highly recommend. Now, if you're into some heavier uh, aspects of Bible study, I would recommend uh, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. And Douglas Stewart, uh, this is kind of in the, in the deep end of the pool, so, but I, I do recommend it. Uh, but the last recommendation I have, this would be for any student of the Bible, anybody who reads their Bible at all, I recommend you read this book, How to Eat Your Bible by Nate Pickowicz. It's an interesting book. It's a short book. It'll, it'll hold your attention. Um, Nick gives some of his, uh, or Nate gives some of his own personal testimony and his adventure into diving into the Bible. I just, I recommend those three books. If you're interested, please, by all means, go to your local Christian bookstore, see if they have a copy, hop on Amazon, eBay, Thrift Books, wherever you have to go. And um, yeah, uh, give those books a read. All right, back to the, back to the podcast. Since so much was said, um, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to go through this entire episode, and there's a couple of reasons why. For one, they said a lot of stuff, and I just don't feel as though I could skip over any of it without giving it some of my own attention. Uh, but the other reason is I don't want it to come back to me and said, hey, that Van Zant guy, he took all of our statements out of context. That's not what we said. We're going to go through the entire episode on this show. Uh, the episode is 38 minutes long. We're going to go through all of it. 
and I'm going to pause, respond, pause, respond. We'll go through more and see how this goes, all right? So today's video, like I said, it's probably going to be a little longer. My apologies. My apologies, apologies up front. That said, <laughs> I'm going to crack the top on this Red Bull. I'm going to need it. <laughs> I'm going to crack the top on this Red Bull, and we are going to dive right into Two Peas on a Pod with special guest, Tim Brim. Yeah. All right, there's there's the intro. Let's just pause right there. Let's stop. Let's talk about the intro. Uh, first of all, props to these guys. That song is an absolute banger of a song. Congratulations to whoever wrote that. That's incredible. <laughs> if you if you weren't tapping your toe at the least or doing a backflip over the third pew at the most, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> what a what a what a song. But did you hear the words? <laughs> did you hear what these guys were saying? You may say, I live too tight. Fellas, nobody says that. <laughs> like, nobody says that about the holiness people, all right? Uh, or that I think I'm the only one right. I, I see the holiness people presenting that, like they're the only ones that are right. Everybody else is wrong. You may say, I walk too straight. No. Nobody's saying you're walking too straight. The Bible says it is a narrow way. Agreed. Yeah, it does say that. But I think that your focus here, I mean, you're, fellas, you're getting it wrong right from the jump. When I hear this song, I just think what a pompous, arrogant, pharisaical, self-righteous, self-aggrandizing approach uh, to their walk with God. So right from the jump, before they even get into the podcast at all, they have this banger of a song, but the lyrics are horrible. I mean, they are so, there's zero humility inside of this. It's them pointing fingers at everybody else and saying, you're bad and we're good. So, sorry, losers. <laughs> uh, they talk about <laughs> the, uh, well, here, let's, let's, just, let's just listen a little bit more to see what they what they have to say. All right, so this is the intro to the podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Two Peas on a Pod podcast. Speaking of living the old-time way, we are back, and we're going to be dealing with the topic of holiness. All right, there he said it right there, the old-time way. When I hear this type of, uh, of speech, this, this type of conversation, boy, there's a lot of red flags that are raised for me. I just want to know, what are you talking about? Like, like with any uh, degree of specificity, what do you, when you say old-time way, what do you mean? 50 years ago? 100 years ago? I mean, Christianity is an ancient religion. Um, it's an ancient Judeo 
religion, for one, that, that spans multiple millennia, uh, multiple uh, cultures and, and societies that it has risen up through and, and in and around. So, so when you talk about this, what are we talking about? You have to, you have to consider, when you say the old-time way, um, culture, uh, geography, the first century church, uh, the, the, the early fathers, um, the, the Reformation, the Puritans, all the way up and through to you get to the uh, first and second great awakenings. Uh, you know, there's so much that, that went on. What are, what are you talking about? Think about our brothers and sisters that are on foreign fields that are just not here in our American system. What do you mean when you say old-time way? I just want to know. Uh, explain it to me, please. If you listen to the last several episodes, we already started this little series, mini-series within a series, I guess, on holiness. You already heard some talking about gender distinction and some of appearance and modesty. And we've been promising we was going to get it to you. It's been taking a little while, and I apologize for that. But we've talked in holiness and in its entirety until now we're going to deal with more of the appearance aspect of holiness. We've talked about um, how you should talk. We've talked about how you should act. Okay, so they're going to talk about appearance, and they say that appearance is important when we talk about holiness. You know what? I agree. It is absolutely important. I think that we should dress and look and present ourselves in a way that reflects the holiness of Christ. Um, I think that we should dress and present ourselves in such a way that is, that is modest, that is becoming of either a man or a woman, I believe very much, in gender distinction. So, yeah, so far, I'm on board with you, buddy. Let's, let's, let's go on and see what they have to say. We've talked about gender. We've talked about um, being, you know, being nice to folks. We've talked about your actions, where you go, what you do. All of it together is holiness, the unity. We've talked about all kinds of different things to be holiness people because this is a holiness podcast, and the Bible teaches holiness. Is one. Yes, it does. The Bible teaches holiness, absolutely just not in the way that these men are going to discuss it today. Sadly, sadly not. Preacher said the front cover is Holy Bible. But anyways, we are here today with a special guest, a friend of mine. We welcome him to the podcast today. So we're going to jump right into it, and we're going to deal with some issues that need to be dealt with. It's not enough just to know because so-and-so said so. We need to know why. Why do you believe this? The world, and they teach in their colleges and things, they teach them why. Mm -hmm. You go talk to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, they've been indoctrinated why. We should know why. Did you hear it? Did you hear it right there? Talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, and they know why. They've been indoctrinated. He says, we need to know why. I don't think that... that I believe this is Austin. I don't think that he's trying... To, <laughs> <laughs> to, to admit that their people are indoctrinated, that they're taught to uh, accept a set of beliefs uncritically. I don't think that's his point there. But he kind of said it. <laughs> Let's carry on. We should know why we believe what we believe, not okay. just because somebody told us to, and that's good, that's good. But from that, my pastor is always... Okay, he said that we shouldn't believe it just because somebody told us to. Remember that. Put that in your mind right now, and when we get to the end of this episode, remember that statement. They're going to come back to it in a contradictory way. Go home and study it for yourself, because when you study it, you'll know that's why I preached it, because it's what we believe, and so that's what this is about. And so if maybe you already know, and maybe this is just a, fresh, a refresher course for you, 
then great. Maybe you don't know and you're somebody that wants to know why I do this or why I wear this or don't wear that. Then we hope and trust that this will encourage you to teach you why we believe what we believe. And so without further ado, I want to welcome to the podcast, Pastor Tim Brim. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Austin. Glad to be here with you. Overwhelming response. Yes, yes, indeed. So we're here today with Pastor Tim Brim. We appreciate him being here. So he's going to start out and just tell us a few things about him before we jump into the content today. All right. Well, my name is Tim, and my last name is Brim, and that's about all I can tell you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I was born in Granite City, Illinois, been 1972, there. Cool. a long time ago. And about, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah me too. I'm about to turn 50 years old. Yeah. was raised there. Of course, Brother David Brim now pastors there. My brother, he pastors yeah. the church we were raised cool in. Cool dude. I like him. But then we uh, went to Bible college and met Sister Barbara and married her in 93. And we evangelized for 10 and a half years all mm. total. And then we've been here for 13 and a half years. We pastored one church our first church we made it a year it was really exciting right on and our second church we pastored about five years cool. and then, of course we taught at export for a year what what in the midst of all that yeah and uh be grad right here here growing old together in the ministry <laughs> <laughs> so it's a privilege to be with you well, i sure appreciate excited that. about this i appreciate you coming on and helping us yeah. Helping us deal with um, this topic of holiness, specifically mm -hmm. the appearance aspect of it. And right. I know that holiness is not all appearance, mm -hmm. but just because it's not all appearance doesn't mean we should just put it off away. Mm -hmm. And so obviously um, one of the most used quoted verses in Hebrews is to follow peace with all man and holiness without no man shall see the Lord. And we got to remember that forgotten cause to follow peace with all men. Absolutely. Right? But holiness without, mm -hmm. holiness without, and there's so much controversy on this word holiness. And you know, I just am who I am. Even even amongst our churches, it is what it is. A lot yeah. of times, the church sign will say, "So and so holiness church," okay. but then when the preacher gets up and just says, "Just say the word holiness," you can just feel the life leave the room. <laughs> Woo! All right, there. Okay, so they give these intro comments, and he's he's talking about when somebody gets up to preach on holiness at a holiness church that you should you you sometimes you just feel the life leave the room. I've been there, um, I saw I've I've seen it happen. But holiness should be a topic that brings joy, uh, that brings peace, um, not contention. It should be something that we think about in our hearts long for holiness. So even in the preaching of the word, there should be an element of holiness that exists. He quoted the verse, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We know that without holiness we will not see the Lord. So why would life leave the room when a preacher preaches holiness? Preaching holiness should bring life. It should bring peace. To bring joy. They're like, oh boy. Yeah. But it shouldn't be that way. No, sir. It should not be that way. If we're truly living holiness, it should be something to 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 grab a hold of, to love. Right. You know, one man said, you know, it's it's against the Bible to be a thief. You shouldn't steal. Mm -hmm. Right. He said, but it only makes a thief upset. Mm. That's right. Only the only the thief's the one upset by that by that law. Yes. But by, by that rule. It, it don't phase me. 
Right. But so folks that the life leaves the room and they're the ones giving you the funny faces Mm -hmm. and they're the ones looking at you like, oh boy, that's because they're struggling with holiness. Right. Oh, did you hear it? Immediately. See what he did? Immediately. He shifts the blame to the people. There's no possible way this preacher's preaching wrong, saying something that's unbiblical. It's the people. The people are wrong. He takes no consideration for what the minister says. This is that typical fear-based, loaded language. This episode is just going to be chock full of it. It's going to be everywhere throughout this one. Um, This is something that uh, Steve Hassan, um, sort of a uh, researcher of extremist groups and cults, he refers to this loaded language... um, as, as, as sort of a thing referred to as thought control, he has what he refers to the bite model, behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotion control. So this would be a, an element of thought control. Going to control your thoughts. Don't you think wrong? And notice the ease with which the host just goes into this. He probably doesn't even realize himself what he's doing. But he enters into this conversation so readily, so easily, until you wouldn't even notice if you weren't Looking for it. It's always the fault of the people. Never the fault of the ministry. Right. And so anyways, we're going to jump right into it. And I have asked you to um, help us deal with uh, several topics, quite a bit actually. Okay. So this is going to be a two-part episode. All right. So you all keep listening. But the first part of this episode. Here we go. We're going to deal with the head. Head. And the hair. And the hair. Okay. Not so much your head, right. my head, <laughs> right? But the head, the yes. head, and your hair. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, when we look at the head and hair, going to First Corinthians eleven would be okay. There we go. So there's there is our text. That's where we're coming from. The topic is the head and the hair. Um, text is First Corinthians chapter eleven. They will be using the King James version of the Bible, and that's awesome. I love the KJV, and so since they are, I am. And I actually wore this awesome T-shirt. <laughs> King James only, please. <laughs> oh, I've got no hate for the King James. I love the King James. Uh, since they're using it, that's what I'm going to use too. First Corinthians 11. I'm comfortable with that King James. So let's go. Let's get into it, all right? Our biblical foundation. We find a biblical chain of command there. The reason for that is God realizes that if the head of any organization or entity is is compromised or destroyed then the devil has free access to the rest of the body and god okay notice what he does before he even reads the bible he mentions a biblical chain of command which is which is something i would agree with uh while it is true that there is a biblical chain of command and we're not going to get into all that conversation it is true notice the language Notice the way in which he, he comes at this. He's saying things that, while rooted in truth, become quickly very untrue. <clears throat> the loaded language is a theme once more throughout this episode. He mentions the devil. He mentions Satan. I find it very interesting to note that in the passage we're going to go through today, there is no mention of Satan. Satan is nowhere to be found on the recorded pages of the text. But again and again, they're going to refer back to the devil, back to Satan. Um, he's absent from this text. They're reading him into the Bible in a place that he's not there. Required the first of everything to be given to him. 
He wanted the firstborn of men and animals. He wanted the firstborn son. He wanted the first day of the week. He requires the first fruit in the Old Testament. Uh, he wants the first of our income and our increase as the tithe. So God was always interested in what was first or what we are talking about here as the head of uh, an entity or organization. Okay. Boy, they went off the rails quick. He talks about first things, the head, the tithe, the man, all of these first things. And that, that I believe later on, he's going to say that if God can get those first things, he can get everything else. And look, this is already just, just hardcore, mega eisegesis of Scripture. When we read the Bible, something that's very important to realize is eisegesis and exegesis of Scripture. And what are the difference in these two terms? What are we talking about there? Okay, eisegesis is where we are inserting ideas into the text. So you have the Bible, and you, you insert your ideas into it. That is exactly what they're doing here by mentioning Satan, by mentioning the tithe. It doesn't mention any of those things. They're inserting ideas into the text. It's sort of sprinkling your own meaning on the top of the text. On the other hand, an exegesis of the text is where you are getting the ideas from the text. You're going for, to the text and obtaining your thoughts from the text itself. This is where we're going to dig into uh, the text and find its true meaning. What did the author have to say? What did God have to say on any given specific matter? And there's going to be full of eisegesis as we go through this, <laughs> through this episode. It's just hardcore, mega, mega eisegesis over and over and over again. Uh, just Watch it. Watch it as it unfolds as they insert meaning into the text again and again. God doesn't want our leftovers. No. He wants first. And and if we would just comprehend that, even in our tithes and our income, it would bless and change our finances. If we would understand that in our home, that's not it in the Bible. Our homes. That's if, not in the Bible. This whole idea of pay your tithes and God will bless your finances. It's not there. That's prosperity gospel. Be 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 careful. All right, let's, let's, let's go on. We would understand that in our churches. It would change our churches. So when it comes to the home, 1 Corinthians 11.3 tells us the order of the chain of command in the home. Let me just read that. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, yeah. and the head of Christ is God. Now, Beautiful that can be chain. a little complicated to just read it, but when you turn it all around and listen to it right, it's this. God, Christ, man, woman, and sure. then the children. Sure. And I always joke around and say, then it's the dog and the cat and the, the mouse and then the cheese, you know. Okay, right on. Hey, Tim, I'll, I'll give that to you again. Um, there, there are a lot of things I want to agree with you on. Um, he's coming at this, though, notice, from a very complementarian perspective, and that's fine. Like I said, I would agree with his, with his complementarian views. I just would not agree with him in the way and the manner in which he is going to present them in this episode today. They're so close, yet so far off at the same time. Because there's a chain of command in the home, in the family. And Satan knows that if he can get the Satan. first, right. the head, away from God, then he can gain access to the rest of those that are down order down in the chain of command. There he goes. He's, he, he has lost it right there. 
his view of headship places male leadership, so father, husband, as almost necessary for salvation. Now, I know he's not saying that directly, but he's putting it very high on the list. And the problem is, I know there are statistics and things that talk about, you know, husbands bringing their wives to church and fathers being in, in, in the church and, and the likelihood of the family being saved after that. And that's probably what he's getting at there. But Scripture disagrees with that notion that, that the, if a man isn't saved, then the family won't be saved. Right here in this same book in 1 Corinthians, if you back up just a few chapters over to chapter 7, where Paul is giving uh, discussion on marriage in the home and unbelieving spouses, <laughs> he talks about it. He talks about it. Let, let, let's read. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13, 14. And the woman, which, which, which hath a husband that believeth not, so her husband's not saved, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Don't leave, sis. Stay with your man. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. So you're, if you have an unbelieving spouse, if your spouse is not a Christian, that doesn't mean that automatically no one else will be saved. No, as a matter of fact, quite the opposite. Your conversation can lead them to a place of holiness and of righteousness. So Again, he just he jumps off the rails. So if look at it like this, if he gets your first fruit of your income, which is supposed to be your tithe, he can have access to all your finances. And how many people do we know that just because they refuse to pay their tithe, their finances are a wreck? If they would just get the first that is not in the Bible. First fruit, right. It would change the rest. Uh, if the devil gets your firstborn child, he feels like he has access to all your children. That is not in the Bible. Uh, if he can get the dad, he can work on the whole family in the home. And we know that's true. Yeah. We have seen. No, we do not know that is true. We don't. Do I believe that men should be godly leaders? Absolutely, I do. And... Brother, if you're not out there leading your family toward God, shame on you. Fall down and repent. But sister, if your husband won't live for the Lord, take heart, take confidence. You keep living faithful to the Lord. There can be chance that your life, your witness, your sharing of and living out the gospel in front of your unsaved husband could actually bring him to the Lord. It, it, it's, it's very possible. So no, there, this idea of if he gets the head, he gets everybody else, it's just not, it's not biblical. Fathers fall, fail, walk away from God, and the impact that it has on the home. That's why there's such an attack on the men. Absolutely. The men, the head of the house. Because you yes. get the head and the rest of it just dies. Yes. No. The rest of it falls apart because that's not the way God intended it to be. That's right. <laughs> Whoever gets the first has access to the rest. So God wants it, and if we let him have it, he will have room to work on the rest. Some homes that are struggling, if a dad would just sell out to God and get on fire, it would change a lot of problems in his home. Yeah, sure. And, and really, Brother Austin, this also goes over to a church that we know the devil fights the pastor, the ministry, because if he feels like if he can get the ministry down or get them to fall or get them to compromise, then he has access to the rest of the church. Oh, man. Tim, brother, you are so wrong here, sir. So incredible. 
The minister is not the savior of the church. The pastor is not the savior of the church. The preacher is not the savior of the church. The savior of the church is the savior, Christ. So he says, if the ministry falls, Satan has access to the rest of the church. Is this true? I mean, is this biblical? Let's go to the Word of God. <laughs> Let's let the Bible answer these questions for us. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 26 and 27, speaking of Christ, <laughs> not, of, not of any man, speaking of Christ, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So according to Ephesians, it is Christ that saves the church. It is Christ that sanctifies the church. It is Christ that will present the church as glorious and without spot or wrinkle. So the idea that if a minister somehow uh, falls, then the church will fall is just simply not biblical. It's not in there. Here's the thing. God can replace any man with just a snap of a finger. He can set one down. He can raise one up. God is sovereign. While ministers and ministries are vital and, and essential and necessary for the church, they're of great importance, uh, they, they do not necessarily dictate the spiritual makeup of the church. Christ does this, and he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's, let's make sure we get that right. Your pastor is not your savior. So that, that brings up the question. It kind of I, I hate to question beg, but it does beg the question, what role then uh, do pastors and preachers play? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, back up one chapter from where we were just reading. What do they do? Well, in, the, in that uh, five-fold ministry piece that he gives, he talks about it. He says this is what they're to do. They're for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So they, they play a role, but it is Christ that works. A very important role, very vital role, but, but if a minister falls, he falls and God moves on. So Tim Brim here has presented a, a bad view of headship, both in the home um, and in the church. He's, he's just coming at this completely, completely wrong. But let's go on. Let's see what else they have to say on the issue. And it's very true. God wants the head of the body to be right, and then he'll bless the rest of the body. Go to Psalm 133. The head of the body to be right. So... The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. So who's the head? God, Christ. Not the pastor. He said he poured out that oil on the head of Aaron. It ran down upon his garments. That is the way God does in the church. He poured <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I didn't have this <laughs> I didn't have this in my notes. But Tim, brother, you can't tell me. All right. If, if he were a novice, if Tim were brand new, I would give him a pass right here. But Tim Brim's been at this for a long time, and he knows the Bible. So he talks about uh, Psalm 33 and that call to unity. But he skipped over so much of the passage. Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard. <laughs> Even Aaron's beard went down to the skirt of his garments. So he skips that. Aaron has both a beard and a skirt in this in this passage, but somehow Tim Brim, you didn't mention that, brother. Why? Why? It on the ministry, and it runs down over the body of Christ, and it even drips off their hem of the garments onto the ground. So it starts at the head. All right. So let let me explain the difference of men's hair and women's hair. Uh, God has always had a distinction between men and women. Right. I noticed that you said something earlier about the gender. Um, that is a huge issue that America is wrestling with right now. Yes, it is. But when you look at, we're talking about hair, but looking at men and women, there is a distinction in them that God Let's let, let's let him finish. God said. Okay. God said, according to Tim Brim, God said there's a distinction in men and women in the hair. Okay. Not in hair length, though. Okay? Specifically, God has not commanded something about length of hair. We'll talk a little bit more about nature and all that later, but right now, he's, he's, he's heading the wrong direction. So the, the differences of length in hair, um, is that really biblical? Is that what God is trying to tell us? Is that what 1 Corinthians is, is saying? Um, it's actually quite the, quite the opposite if you look through the rest of Scripture. Um, and, and we don't pit Scripture against one another, but if we want to harmonize all of this and bring it together and do good exegesis and not eisegesis. Okay, think in the Old Testament examples of those that had long hair, men in particular, but, but women as well, long and short hair. There are many of them that we could talk about, and we just don't have time to necessarily go through all of them. But namely, one of the, the most important uh, distinctions in hair length that we read of in the Old Testament is in the Nazarite vow. You remember in the Nazarite vow in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, I believe it is, where, where a man is commanded by God, a man or a woman, there, there could have been women Nazarites, whether they were or weren't, I, it's, I, it's hard to say. It's possible that maybe uh, Manoah's wife, Samson's mother, was a Nazarite. I don't know for sure. Anyhow, we know that, that they were to grow their hair out long. They were to abstain from fermented drinks, so things like wine and alcohol. Uh, they were not to touch dead bodies. Uh, so this was part of the Nazarite vow, and there are multiple Nazarites that we read of throughout the Old Testament, the most famous being Samson. Uh, we think of him immediately when we, when we think of, of the Nazarite and the Nazarite vow. And this is what it had to say about Samson in the book of Judges, chapter 13, verse 5. For lo, this is the angel speaking to the wife, For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. He's saying that Samson will be a Nazarite. Let me just back up and read the Nazarite vow. I think it's going to help us with, with context. Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. The Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. Say to them, When either man or a woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, 
He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separates himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. God commands man to have long hair under the Nazarite vow. Samson had long hair. Who else in the Old Testament may have had long hair, though? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, The prophet Samuel um, likely had long hair. He was possibly a Nazarite as well, because when his mother Hannah prayed, um, she committed young Samuel to the Lord and says this in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. She vowed a vow, said, O Lord of hosts, thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. Samson, Samuel. Well, what about the New Testament? Is there anything in the New Testament? Because we say, oh, well, that's all Old Testament. Well, is there anything in the New Testament that might indicate that somebody had long hair? Likely, yes. Likely. John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He was likely a Nazarite as well. This one's maybe not quite spelled out so clearly as the other two examples that we had, but, but, this is what it says of John the Baptist, Luke 1, 14 and 15. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Speaking of John, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. It's likely that John the Baptist was also under that same Nazarite vow. Two examples in the Old Testament, one in the New. You say, well, John the Baptist, yeah, technically he's in the New Testament, but that was before the death of Christ. Okay, fair. Fair enough. Uh, there's also another example we have after the death of Christ. And would you know, this man wrote the very letter which we are discussing today, 1 Corinthians, and his name was Paul. So what Paul did, I wish I had the reference in front of me, forgive me, uh, but Paul had actually taken a vow at some point, and he went and he shaved his head at the end of the vow. Now, according to the Nazarite vow, and when the vow was completed, that's what was to happen. The Nazarite would shave his hair off, or her hair off. So we have command by God to both let the hair grow long and to shave it off entirely, and that went for both men and women. Paul would have known this when he wrote 1 Corinthians. Tim, I disagree with you, brother. God does have a distinction, but not in hair length. I think that when we read 1 Corinthians 11, we need to have something completely different in view, completely different in mind, namely worship, definitely submission. We should have these things in our heart and in our mind, um, and distinction, but not length of hair. Let's move on. Three ways. First of all, he set that in creation. That's where he dealt with the gender. Male and female created he them. There's right. nobody else. There's no other yeah. gender. Um, all of this um, LGBTQ yeah. plus all that, it wasn't there. 
It's interesting okay. to note that they don't, they're not trying to change that I know of changing genders of animals. Right. You know, they're not That's saying, well, what? I think that bear is uh, pan or right. bi or. Yes. Uh, I think that, you know, right. I think that boy bear wants to be a girl bear and, right. you know, all this, all this kind of stuff. And I know that That's seems actually silly to people. Yeah. But how come we know it's a doe and we know it's a buck? That right. You said God created gender distinction in the animals from the very beginning. Sure. Last I checked, does and bucks had about the same length of hair. I'm not deer hunter. But right? Sure. We know that's a buck. We yeah. know that's a doe. Right. It looks like our brains of everybody in the world be like it's the same way with us. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we understand that it is a spirit that is driving that in these people to feel that way. Um, <laughs> they're not concerned about animals. They, the, but the spirit is concerned about destroying them. But in creation, there was a difference. Okay. In the clothing there is a difference. God okay. always made a distinction Fair. between men and women with their clothing. Thirdly, it was in their covering or their hair. Okay. So the woman's hair is to be uncut. Just that's plain and simple, uncut. And the man's hair is supposed to be cut within the natural bounds of their hairline. That's the difference that God made between the two men and women Okay, we just went through a whole list of scriptures prior to this. And now Tim has gone and made this claim that covered means uncut for a woman, even though she'd been commanded under the, under the Nazarite vow to shave her head. And there are also other areas where women were commanded to shave their heads. But now he's saying that God has a rule that women cannot cut their hair. And for a man, it's to be cut. But not only is it to be cut, it must be within the natural bound uh, or uh, natural bounds of his hairline. Does Scripture teach this? No, absolutely not. Tim has arrived at Scripture with this meaning and has sprinkled that into the text. Numbers chapter six, verse eighteen. It 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 commands the Israelite or the Nazarite women. I'm sorry commands the Nazarite women to shave their head at the end of the vow, the Nazarite men and the Nazarite women. This would include both genders, um, and like I said, one of which may possibly, I can't say this definitive, definitively, but may have been Manoah's wife, may have been a Nazarite. So no, Scripture teaches no such thing about the head covering and about uncut versus cut. It teaches no such thing. This is a misappropriation, a misuse of... <laughs> First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven. This is this is this is rough. Let's move on. For their hair is is right there. God wants the woman's hair uncut and the men's hair cut within their natural boundaries of their hairline. So in that the natural hair hairline that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I know there was some there was some of this that was back in the day and now it's coming back now. Mm -hmm. And even you know I've seen it within the church you'll have the hairs not touching the ears it's not down to that natural line you're talking about mm -hmm. but it's there's a lot going on upstairs right <laughs> i mean there's a whole lot going on upstairs okay. right it might be a foot long upstairs you know it may be super long in the back or however you know new trends like the mullet now right. lord have mercy right. why would anybody want a mullet 
I, I that don't is know. so ugly. <laughs> I mean, I don't like mullets either, but I'm not going to call it a sin. But anyways, what 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 about these these hairstyles where it's just you know we just high and tight on the sides, but then upstairs it's just mm-hmm. when they're just tons and tons of hair. Right. Well, the guidelines that God gave for a man's hair is this. He said it must be cut, and then he said that it must be within the bounds of their natural hairline. That. That's where he said, doth not even nature itself teach us that a man should not have long hair. So that is a restrictive law that was given by God to men for their hair. Whoa, whoa, buddy. A restrictive law given by God to men for their hair? Really? (laughs) Cut within the bounds of their natural hairline. A restrictive law given by men or given to men by God. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame to him. And from there, he establishes his doctrine that God gave a law that man had to have his hair cut within its natural boundary. Where My, my question to Tim, we, you, we know the law of God. Where is this law? You understand Torah. You understand the Pentateuch. You understand the first five books of, of Moses, of the Bible. You understand these things. So where, when you read your Bible, sir, where in the law are you finding this? You have really put the, the, the burden of proof on yourself to go to God's law and prove this point, and it is not in there. This is a restrictive law. God gave us one law. He gave us the law. And you have said that this is the law of God. And sir, it is not. Scripture teaches nothing like this. It's not to touch their ears or collar. Where's that at? And a few questions I, I would have. What about Orthodox Jews that, that wear their sideburns long and, and they, they have these long curly cues that come down? Um, are they breaking this restrictive law according to... To you, would this be a sin? Um, what and, and, and to that end, the natural bounds of your hair, I have a beard. Where is this natural boundary at? What are we talking about here? Um, where do we cut our sideburns? Where's the limit? Where's the stopping place and point? Um, and what about our beards? Mine is trimmed and cropped somewhat closely. Do we let them grow all the way? I know the majority teaching is clean-shaven faces, but but that would be cutting your natural hairline. So where... This is legalism at its finest. So to me, the better interpretation of 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen is that men and women grow their hair naturally in different ways. You know, nature teaches us that men and women naturally grow hair differently. Women do tend to grow their hair longer than men. That just happens. The chemicals in our body, that's the way that that usually functions, usually, naturally. And men struggle with things like male pattern baldness, you know. Um, I've got my hat on, but uh, my hairline has receded a little bit (laughs) as I've gotten closer to 40 years old. So naturally, those things happen, and that seems to be what Paul has in view when he's mentioning nature itself teaching us about hair length, that women, their hair does naturally grow more and longer than men, 
and men have a more of a propensity to lose their hair. And I know some men can grow their hair very long. Some women don't grow their hair quite quite so long. It can be shorter, whatever. But but as a rule, nature kind of shows us that men lose their hair, women grow it out longer. That's just kind of the way that things tend to go. Now, now culturally, if we were to discuss this from a cultural perspective and standpoint, my understanding of three different cultures, both Roman, uh, Jewish, and Greek cultures, sort of the accepted hairstyle culturally was that men like to keep a close-cropped uh, uh, haircut. I mean, you've seen images and statues of, of Greek leaders or Roman leaders of Nero, where they had this sort of, uh, matter of fact, when I was a kid, it got real popular, again, for guys to have that Caesar-style haircut, and it was just real cut, real short, um, so naturally, that was that was it, culturally, that was the way they did their law, or did their hair, but it's not in Torah, it's not in the law, Tim's made that up. Now, the question you're asking doesn't really deal with hair length, as far yeah. as um, so it's not touching the ears, right. and that's what, or even on the collar, you yeah. know, all that, the, you know, those natural hairlines, and and I, I guess some guys think they're werewolves, you know, and they can wear their hair as long as they want. Whatever, that's not um, what God desired. So there are other guidelines that God gives for our appearance that we must remember when you're talking about hair, and there's, you know, they're generally principles that are given. Because hair can become an adornment simply by its hairstyle. Pride can be shown in your hair. Okay, agreed. Um, yeah, absolutely. And there is a spiritual element in the hair. What? There is a spiritual element in the hair? Let's, let's listen a little more. Be, based on 1 Corinthians 11. He said, for this cause ought the woman have power on her head because of the angels. There is a spiritual element even in that. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. That's verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 11. Does long hair give power? Does it? Brim, Tim Brim is so far off here. Almost the indication being that cut hair equals less power with God. And uncut hair equals more power with God. The problem is this is glorying in the flesh. Something that God said through the pen of Paul in this same letter in 1 Corinthians, in the first chapter, said something that uh, would not happen no flesh would glory in his presence. And, and this chapter is entering into a beautiful conversation surrounding worship. It's going to flow through chapters 11, 12, 13, 14. Um, and we're in the presence of God, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So this verse has nothing to do with hair length. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. That has nothing to do with length of hair. But it has everything to do with submission. Like I said, I agree with his complementarian views. I hold those same views. <clears throat> Just as the angels were subject to God in creation, and they were, uh, the woman is subject to God in worship. The power is submission. She has power on her head, 
or even, as some translations like to say, power over her head. But that's a bigger topic. Translation, we're not going to get into that today. The idea of power being in the hair itself calls to mind Samson, that Nazarite, that famous Nazarite, and even Absalom in the Old Testament. You remember Absalom, and he, he had this long, beautiful hair. Uh, both men with long hair that took great pride in that hair, even being blessed by God. But their pride for both men became their downfall. It brought them down. So if you believe that somehow your hair on your head brings you power with God, I submit that you are actually glorying in the flesh. And you're being prideful. And rather than following the teaching of 1 Corinthians 11, you are actually violating 1 Corinthians 11. If you believe there is power in your hair, you are walking a prideful path. No, it ought to be a posture of submission and a posture of humility. And so really, I mean, honestly, I, my, my submission to you is that you should repent and, and turn to God from this, from this view that's prideful and, and let, let the Holy Spirit do a work in you. I'm not saying this in necessarily a combative way, but I am recommending repentance. I mean, we should all repent. I think Jesus told us that, or we would likewise perish. All right, let's, let's, let's move on. And I know the world mocks that and ridicules that, but it's very true, and it's biblically based right here in this chapter. And so you can still be within the guidelines of it must be cut, and it must be within the natural boundaries, and still have spiritual problems that will show themselves through your hair or hairstyles. And so hairstyles have to be considered when you're talking about hair on a man or a woman and so as far as the women go they probably get the brunt yeah of no the, doubt sure of the preaching and the teaching when it comes to hair sure and i was always raised growing up that it was very simple you need to have long hair well what's long mean it means uncut mm-hmm. it maybe. means maybe long hair may mean uncut but maybe not uh because the passage isn't dealing with length of hair it's dealing with proper worship, submission to God. So long may mean uncut, but maybe not. Uncut. And so I've heard different arguments from different folks, as as we all have. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what does that mean? I mean, people, there are folks that um, get a perm. Um, there are ladies that get perm in their hair. There are ladies okay. that trim the ends. They say it's more healthy. Probably know, is. They burn off the ends. They say you know, it, it makes your hair unhealthy or whatever. I mean, I've that, heard different okay. arguments. And obviously, mm-hmm. I'm not a woman. I don't have long hair. <laughs> Good. I don't know a whole lot about it. Right. As far as that goes. But what does these scriptures right here in 1 Corinthians 11, what does it mean when it means to be uncovered, when it means to be uncut? And what about burning, trimming, any any kind of way mm-hmm. of making your hair shorter than what it's supposed to be? Right. Okay. Good question. Well, the rule that God set, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 11, for a woman's hair length is that it is to be uncut. Uncut. Did he say that? Okay, look, I'm starting to get a little warm. I'm going to ditch this jacket real quick. Oh. Long hair means uncut. Okay. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 11, 4 and 5. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. 
But every man that prayeth, excuse me, verse 5, every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Okay. So he is talking here about covered or uncovered. uncovered, uncovered. When you look at the woman's hair in verse number 5, okay. it says uncovered. Now, when you break that word down, it is made up of three words in the Greek. And when you bring it all down to our language, it literally means without all covering. So when we look... Without all covering. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. That is even all as if she were shaven. And he says that this Greek word means... um, Well, let's, let me let me back up a few seconds. I want to get it right. See what he said. Covered. Now, when you break that word down, it is made up of three words okay. in the Greek. And when you bring it all down to our language, it literally means without all covering. Without all covering. I, you know, I really struggle with that. I know that it is a compound word. I don't know that it's three Greek words. I'm not a Greek speaker, but I can do word searches and recognize a little bit of Greek language, but I'm by no means a Greek-speaking individual. However, the word that he is referring to in the Greek is the Greek word akatokalyptos. And um, no matter how you break that word down, compound word, two words, three words, I think it's two, maybe I'm wrong. Like I said, I'm not a Greek speaker. Um, But it simply means uncovered. It just means it's not covered. So it doesn't mean without all covering or whatever he's trying to say here. Um, it's the same word in verses 5 and 13. Every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Verse 13, uh, judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? That's what he's asking here. Um, also, in the, in the Greek Septuagint, so the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, we do find occurrence is at least one of this word, akatokalyptos, and it is used when God is speaking to, giving directions to a leper, what they ought to do to cover their faces. And this is what, what it has to say. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. The leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare, he shall put a covering upon his lip, and shall cry, unclean, unclean. Covering, on his lip. I don't think that Moses is telling a leper to grow a mustache. I don't think he has hair in mind when he's writing this passage. So all the way back to the Old Testament law, I don't think that he's telling them that that if they don't have all their covering, if they don't grow a mustache. (laughs) So without all covering, no translation. No lexicon, no Bible dictionary, no word comparison, no side-by-side, no nothing I found says this. Nothing uses Tim Brim's definition. I don't know where he came up with this. I would be hard-pressed, or I would press on him to cite his source. Where did he come up with this? Maybe Tim's a Greek scholar. I don't know. And maybe he has something to teach me, and I, and I, and I would be more than open to hearing uh, how he came up to that, that definition. I just couldn't find it, so I'd be interested to find his source, by all indications, seem like he's making it up to me. So when we look at this word of covering, 
It said, every woman that prayeth or prophesieth without all her covering dishonoreth her head. So what you're talking about, Brother Austin, is people cutting their hair. You, you said burning their hair. But we need to realize that anything that a woman does to her hair to remove some of it is wrong. It is sinful. Anything a woman does to remove her hair is sinful. Anything. Sister, if you're removing your hair at all, you are sinning. I'm going to go ahead and give him that he's talking about hair on your head. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Anything that a woman does to remove her hair is sinful. What a shame. Because there are a lot of godly women I know that have gone through chemotherapy and cancer treatments that their hair has fallen out because of those treatments. They intentionally went to those treatments, and their hair came out. I don't think Tim Bram has that in mind. But following the logic through, it would at least venture into that territory. How dangerous, and what a sad shame to think that some poor sister could struggle enough already with her hair falling out and question that she may have sinned against God. Sister, you haven't. If you're, if you're undergoing treatments or something like that right now, just my heart goes out to you. And uh, don't you have enough on your mind. Don't let it bother you that you think you're being sinful. This is possibly the low point of the episode for me because of, of these very reasons. Um, and like I said, I realize the exaggeration of this comments. I realize this is a bit of a caricature, but this could very much be a struggle for some holiness woman that's out there that's questioning this very issue if she comes across this episode. So I'm just going to tell you, don't worry about sis. God's got grace for that. Because what he's saying here is that she has to have all her covering. So it doesn't matter if you take off an inch, if you trim it, if you bite it, if you cut it, if you burn it. It doesn't matter how you do it. it just means covered. The removal of that hair is damaging that covering. And if you covering. take off some, you're not having all your covering. And so biting it is wrong. Um, in any <laughs> list of things they may have. I've heard of them cutting it with fingernail clippers and saying it wasn't cut. There's a They go on a whole list throughout the episode. And they talk about... You know, like un unapproved hairstyles. I've got them written down over. There's like ten of them. <laughs> you do that. Oh man, it's like straight to jail. Cut your hair straight to jail. Bite your hair straight to jail. <laughs> Burn your hair straight to jail. List of things. The problem is what's in your heart. You're wanting to get rid of the yeah. hair that God has given you for a cover. It's not the utensil. No, the, no. It's that's the, not the right word. It's not the it, it, I said utensil. That's all right. It, it's not how you're doing it. Yeah, it's not the tool. There it there is. There you go. Yeah, but that's not it. So <laughs> this is one reason why I personally don't go along with perming a woman's hair. All right. I don't believe in that. Cool. Um, it severely damages your hair. You risk burning it, breaking it off, and therefore I I do my best to be biblical, and biblically I feel like you have to maintain that hair and do all you can to. Not <laughs> hey, dude! <laughs> Nobody asked you. <laughs> Look, some guy's telling my wife how to fix her hair. <laughs> Just don't listen to him, all right? If my wife watches this episode, look, if some dude that's not me 
comes and tells you how to fix your hair, tell him to take a hike. Because if I told you how to fix your hair, you tell you tell me to take a hike. <laughs> remove it. Anything a woman intentionally decides to do to remove some of her hair is wrong. Whatever. And that's basically the bottom line. No, it's I not. I just want to make a note right here. I was studying some about hair and things because, you know, I want to know why. Mm-hmm. I want to sure. know why I believe something. I, right. I don't want to just get up in the pulpit and say, one, two, three, this is what we do. Right. And Sound not like know it to why me. or not tell nobody why. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to know for myself. Okay. And I was reading... And I, I found it sort of comical, but I was reading over you know different commentators, and it was told that at the time that Paul was writing this to the Corinthian church, it was known in their culture that if a man had long hair, as we would know what long means, mm-hmm. that you was effeminate. Mm. You was known by everyone you were soft hmm. and unmanly and ladylike. Wow. But I'll Tim, I don't okay, want to fine. be known. I don't want <laughs> no. somebody to look at me and say, boy, that's a sissy. Yeah, <laughs> right. Same I don't want sure. somebody to look at me and say he's very unmanly. Right. We was at Taco Bell last night, which you said is your fellowship hall. Yes. <laughs> McDonald's used to be ours. <laughs> there was a man that walked in Taco Bell last night with extremely long hair. And it was, what it was, a red, purple, Purplish, pink? yeah. It, I mean, it was like okay. three or four different colors. Yeah. I looked at that guy, and I thought, that's a sissy. Right. That is very unmanly. There's something yes. wrong with that. Yeah. He might not have a lisp like a lot. Of- <laughs> Hair was long. It was dyed. And I don't know if he had a lisp or not, but I knew he was a sissy. All right. First of all, come on, dude. Get, get over yourself. Long hair, dyed hair immediately makes that man a sissy. And then I don't know if he had a lisp. Bro. One of the toughest, scariest, manliest men in the world speaks with a lisp. His name is Mike Tyson. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat his children. You ever heard of this cat? Some do. But that was still very, very unmanly. Right. But anyways, um, verse number four and number five, let's hone in on that for a few minutes. Okay. Okay. Where it says, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonor, dishonoreth his head. What This word covered right here, d- does that mean a literal covering, like a beanie or a hat or... I, I mean, I know, but I'm just, I'm just oh, asking from cool. a, do you? from a young person that may ask, because you know we as custom, <laughs> but, but do you? And know? I think it's a great custom to have. We all take our hats off in church. Mm-hmm. I find myself just setting my wife's guitar up mm-hmm. before church even starts, or even the day before, or whatever. I take my hat off when I walk in. It's the house of God. I want to be respectful, right? But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about cool. no. in this particular scripture. No, right. he's not. And it is good etiquette and respectful to take your hat off when you go into any building, really. Years ago, they would take their hat off when they ate. You'd never see a man eating with his hat on. So it was a matter of etiquette and respect going into a building, how much more we should do that to the house of God. That's what they do in the military. Yes. You take your, it's called a cover. You take your cover off when you enter a building. You better not be caught with it on. You get in trouble. (laughs) But when we look at the hair here in verse or chapter 11, if you go to verse 15, the question has always been asked, well, what is the covering? Do, do I have to wear a second covering? That's is this question. dealing with a, uh, and I'm not trying to be offensive with how I describe this, but uh-huh. is it dealing with a doily on my head or a, a bonnet that I have to wear? No. Look at verse 15. But if a woman have long hair, it is glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. 
So the covering is the hair. Plain and the covering is the hair. That's their claim from 1 Corinthians. Uh, but is that really true? Now, this is a tricky verse. It really is, this is one of Paul's tough passages to navigate and work through. Their claim, the covering is the hair. This is the scripture. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. They claim the hair is the covering. If you read this very closely, it seems to indicate otherwise that the hair is actually given for the covering, but it's not the covering itself. Now, now stay with me. I'm going to read you a note from the NET uh, Bible, um, from their notes. This isn't from the text itself. This is just from, from their notes, from the Net Bible. This is what it has to say. No word for veil or head covering occurs in verses 3 to 14. Uh, that the hair is regarded by Paul as a covering in verse 15 is not necessarily an argument that the hair is the same as the head covering that he is describing in these earlier verses. Throughout this unit of material, Paul points out the similarities of long hair with the head covering, but his doing so seems to suggest that the two are not to be identified with each other. Precisely because they are similar, they do not appear to be identical. If head covering equals long hair, then what does verse 6 mean? For if a woman will not cover her head, she should cut her hair off. This suggests that the covering is not the same as the hair itself. All right, verse 6. Let me just bump back here and read it real quickly to us in the King James. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. Now, if, if the hair is the covering, so it would be saying, if her hair is cut, let her hair be cut. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem to be what Paul is saying here, okay? If the hair, if the covering is the hair, then the covering only works for long hair. So then, women with short hair, whether they have cut their hair or not, or if their hair is just naturally shorter, are not covered. If the hair is the covering. So the logic falls apart. The hair is used for a covering, but it is not the covering itself. The similarities are actually the distinctions. If that makes sense, they're similar, but they are not the same. Simple. Nothing else. So when he's talking in verse 4 and 5 about covering, he's talking about hair. So go back to verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Again, if you dig into the meaning of that word, it literally means herring hair growing hair, hair that is left out of control. It's not contained at all. And so he is saying there, if you're just letting your hair grow like a woman is supposed to, you are dishonoring your head, which is Christ and God. You're dishonoring that. Now you go to verse five, said every woman that pray. Well, let's stop right there. Let's, let's, let's back up. He says that in verse four, um, boy, this is another one. Herring hair. <laughs> Again, it just feels like Tim Brim is making up his own Greek definitions here. I could find nothing that supported this view that there's a Greek word that means herring hair. So I'm going to make an assumption because he's so vague. I'm going to make an assumption. He's referring to the uh, Greek word kata, which would be one of the same words from which we derive the word akatakalyptos, kata. The word very loosely translated, very loosely translated can possibly mean that it's done up. But that's not, not even likely. It's very loose translation. 
Uh, and there do seem to be some cultural hints here of Roman men wearing women's head coverings. Um, and this is an, an issue of culture. It's somewhat speculative. Uh, but most likely, when he uses the word katal, uh, he is saying that, um, that a man ought not have anything on his head when he's praying or prophesying. Don't put a head covering on when you pray or prophesy. So if Tim Brim's interpretation is correct and covering means hair, then any man with any hair on his head when he prays and prophesies is sinning. Any hair, not cut within your natural boundary line. Any hair at all. Because if it means with all of their covering and all this other stuff that he said to this point, and kata means herring hair. So if any man is herring hair while he's praying or prophesying, he is sinning. And again, that logic doesn't flow through. It doesn't work. It just does not work. And even Tim, and I'm sure the host, Austin, Zach, whoever we're talking to here, they would agree that he's not telling men to shave their heads. Verse 4. Let me just read it. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Every man herring hair. <laughs> I don't know. Prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered. That's where it comes back to without all her covering. She's supposed to let her hair just grow and grow with no limit. So the woman is supposed to let it grow and grow, but the man's got to, he can have a certain style and length to it, but the woman, it, it can't have any certain length. It has to be as long as it will go. But the man, he gets a little, a little, a little bit of wiggle room there. Kind of a misogynistic view. She's to let her hair grow and grow. I'm assuming, um, or I'm sorry again, the similarity. Uh, but it's not the same thing. Hair is not the covering. Hair is giving for the, given for the covering, but it's not the covering itself. Verse 5, the covering, <laughs> the covering, that's the covering. But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory for her, for her hair is given her uh, for a covering. Verse 15, I'm sorry, I said verse 5. Verse 15, this is one of uh, those difficult passages. It is, it's just tough to work through, but, but the hair isn't the covering, it's given for the covering. The covering is the covering that Paul has in view in this passage of Scripture on it. And that is the difference there. Hair is the covering. Men are not supposed to let their doesn't work. hair grow. The logic does not work. It just doesn't. Tamed, uncontrolled. They're supposed to keep it within a certain boundary. Women, verse four, verse five, excuse me, are supposed to let their hair just grow. Don't. Then it, I'm telling you again, you hear him saying it right here that, that women are supposed to just let it grow and grow, but men get to cut it a certain length. No, if the logic flows one way, it needs to flow back the other way. If women have to let it grow as long as they can, men have to shave it as short as they possibly can. Any man growing hair at all on his head is sinning. If the same logic translates to any woman cutting her hair at all is sinning. That doesn't work. Don't do anything to hinder it. Don't do anything to stop it. It is glory to God, according to verse 15, and it is her covering. I hope that explains what you're looking for there. Okay, so verse number 14 talks about doth not nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. It's a shame. Now, there's another there's mm -hmm. another uh, controversial word right there. Right. Well, a shame. It did not say sin. Right. It said uh, it's a shame. Yeah, let's talk yes. about it. Brother Austin, I think the main thing that we need to understand, everybody, 
and this is what I teach at my church, the Bible is the answer book. Amen. It doesn't matter what anybody says, thinks, how we interpret it. Right. Go back to what the Bible says. When the Bible said it is a shame, that word literally means abomination. Oh. That Greek word right there is atema, and mm-hmm. it means disgrace and dishonor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Greek word he's referring to, Tim Brim says it means abomination. That's what it is. Uh, Austin or whoever is saying that it, the Greek word atemia, if I'm saying it properly, um, means dishonor. So who's right? Is it an abomination or is it a dishonor or are they the same thing? So I did some more research, and I found other instances of this word um, being used, dishonor, shame, those types of words. And I found all the way in the same letter in 1 Corinthians 15, the same usage of the word atemia. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. So the word translated dishonor here is that same Greek word, atemia. But he's saying that it's the, the body is sown in dishonor. It can mean shame. It can mean honor. It can mean disgrace. Um, it can even mean degrading or even common. There's various uses of this word throughout the Greek text of the Bible. Do you know what one definition is never used? Abomination. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible is this word used to indicate an abomination. Tim, my friend, my brother, either you are lying or you are confused, sir, and I need to know where you've found your source to say this means an abomination. I need to know. Your people are obligated to know this. I'm questioning you, sir. I want to know. Either you are lying or you are mistaken. But at any rate, you, sir, are wrong. You are disgracing your head. You're dishonoring your head. It is an abomination. God looks on that very strongly. I know there was a so-called Christian comedian several years ago that made a joke out of that on one of his CDs. Oh, it's just a shame. Well, it's a shame it's hot in here, but that doesn't mean I'm going to hell because of that. But when you look at the so, Bible, let's not get our apologetics the Bible from is Mark telling Lowry. us it's an abomination. That is a strong word to God to be an abomination. But it's not saying and that. You are dishonoring, disgracing your head, okay. which is Christ and God. Okay. And but it's not I, I saying abomination. That's very serious. It's not something to joke around no. about. So verse 15 says, But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Right. So we know what the covering is. It's the hair. No. And it is a a glory to her. It brings glory to her, but not only to her. Go back to verse, and I know I keep switching back and forth on you, but go back to verse 5. It said that she dishonoreth her head. So it's a glory to her. It's a dishonor if she cuts it to her husband to Christ and to God. The head. The head, right. Which the woman, that is the head of her life, is the husband, Christ, and God. And she dishonors every one of them. She brings shame on them. And not only that, but what is to be a glory to her, she is removing and taking away. She's losing her glory 
and dishonoring her head. Is she really bringing shame? I mean, let's go to, to verse 6. I think he mentioned verse 5 and 6. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, uh, for that is even all as if she were shaven. Okay? For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. If she is not covered, okay? And if covering means hair, and she cuts her hair, he's saying let her cut her hair. And that's a, logically, that makes zero sense. So what's she going to cut if she's already cut her hair? All right? And if she's, he says it's a shame for a woman to be, to be uh, shaved. Now, in the Jewish mind, they would understand this very well. And I know that we are in a Gentile church, but the Jews would understand this idea of a woman having a shaved head being a shame. Think back to the Nazarite vow. She would shave all of her hair off at the end of that. But also, there, there, there's indication of a woman that shaves her hair in another instance in the law, in the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 12. When a man would go and would... Uh, um, conquer a land and would take a wife from the people that he had conquered, uh, she would go through a time of mourning, naturally, in a time of shame. During that time of shame, she is told to shave her head. God tells the woman, cut her hair all off, cut it all off. That's what it says, Deuteronomy 21, 12. Then thou shalt bring her home to thine house, and she shall shave her head and pare her nails. So when a woman or a man would take a wife from the captives, she would shave her head. God commanded this. Yes, God commanded women to cut their hair. And this was done as a sign of mourning, but it is a command by God taken from the law. Like that's from the law. Let's, let's, let's move on. I'm going to run out of battery on this camera. I may have to pause in a little bit, but let's go on a little bit further. Yeah, why would you want to get rid of your glory? That's a good question. Okay, I said we could go on, but let's stop. Why would you want to get rid of your glory? What a question, Austin. I'm just going to call you Austin. Maybe you're Zach. I'm going to call you Austin, though. Um, why would you want to get rid of your glory? That is a great question. It's a phenomenal question. And did you know that Scripture gives an answer to that? <clears throat> At best, hair is an earthly glory. At best. It's an earthly thing. And, and Scripture, actually, same letter, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's going to talk about this. He's going to talk about earthly glories. Long passage. I'm just going to read it in its entirety. That way we can get a real good feel for what Paul is saying. All flesh is not the same flesh. This is 15 verses 39 through 58. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, heavenly and earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. Uh, there is one glory of the sun, um, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sowed in, sowed in dishonor and atamia. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body. There's a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam 
was made a quickening spirit, Adam and Christ, as we're speaking of there. Howbeit, that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. Such as, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we've borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So the law tells us what is sinful, not a made-up law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labors not in vain in the Lord. Why would you want to cut your glory off? At best, this is an earthly glory. Paul's going to tell us this earthly glory is going to fade away and be raised with a heavenly glory. So let's not live for a uh, terrestrial, um, corruptible glory. Let's live for an incorruptible, an eternal glory. All right? Let's move on. Yeah. Right. Why would you want to... uh, Don't take your glory away. Right. You know, people notice it. How many times... As your wife and my wife, people are like, man, your hair's so beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And your hair's so nice. Because no, you don't see that very often. Right. We were in a store just a few weeks ago, and, of course, my wife's hair is naturally curly, and it looks like she stuck her finger in a light socket. I mean, just curls <laughs> everywhere, you know. Um, but we were in a store or someplace of business, and a woman said to her, your hair is beautiful. How do you get your hair to be that long? Right on. And Barbara was like, I don't cut it. It's <laughs> pretty simple. Yeah. Just leave it alone. Yeah. And I think we need just need to understand that. Just leave it alone. And I believe that a woman ought to fix her hair. I don't believe there's any glory in in being dirty, filthy, unkept, any of that. I believe it's great to comb your hair, wash your sure, hair, yeah, fix sure. your hair, but don't cut your hair. Right. My pastor always said, how long is long? As long as you keep the scissors out of it. Right. That's it. As long as you don't cut it, your hair's long. Oh, man. I used to say similar things years ago. Even used it in sermons. Advised it for others. Such foolishness. I was making this an issue God was not. And I hate that. Boy, I wish I could go back and redo some of the things that I said. I used to believe this. How long is long? As long as you keep the scissors out. What a foolish thing to say. The issue here is submission, distinction, and worship. Not length of hair. So this passage, what it does, it follows a sort of a, a, a chiastic structure. Um, I don't have time to explain what a chiasm is. But in the middle of this chiasm, we have verse 10. 
And it says this, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. That's the middle of the chiasm. That's sort of the point of the chiastic structure. The angels were distinct from God. Their angels are not God. They're not divine. Uh, they were submitted to God. They come under his authority. And they worshiped God. So how does this apply to, to woman? For the woman ought to have power on her head because of the angels. Well, how does this work then? The woman is distinct from man. She submits to her husband. And like the angels, she too worships God. The outward example of these things in Corinthian culture, let me emphasize that, the, the outward expression of this in Corinthian culture was the head covering. So the covering was the symbol, but the principle that carries on uh, past this, this age, the principle that carries on is distinction, is submission, is worship. I'm not saying that women ought to wear a head covering or not. I'm not saying women ought to cut their hair or not. I'm not saying that men ought not to cut their hair or they should. What I'm saying is that the principle of the passage is submission and worship and distinction, and that is the principial thing that carries on all the way through. Let's move on. Some people's hair will not grow as long. It right. depends on culture. Right. I've seen it's, some that's barely past the shoulders. Absolutely. Then, you know, people look at them and wonder, and then you see some folks, one of my wife's cousins, her hair drags the ground. Mm -hmm. My sister-in-law, it practically touches the ground. Oh, yeah. We have ladies in our church, their hair almost reaches the ground, Sister Natasha. Um, my mother-in-law has not cut her hair in 40-plus years, and it barely comes to her shoulders. Just beautiful white hair, but it yeah. does not grow long. Okay. So it's not a matter of how long. It's a matter of don't cut it. Don't right. do it. No, it's not. It's a matter of submission, distinction, and worship. Anything to restrict it or restrain it, just let it grow. And so... Today, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a man and you feel like this teaching has hopefully convicted you of having super long hair, it hasn't. Real simple. Not even a little bit. Today and get it cut. Right. Whatever. Let God bless. It hasn't convicted me, brother. <laughs> it hasn't convicted me at all. You in your life, let it get cut. But if you're on the flip side of that, yeah. And you're a woman and your hair has been cut, mm -hmm. then hopefully we can trust that you'll quit cutting it. Yes. Hopefully we can that you'll take something. Now, in your business, what my wife does with her hair. Like, biblically, it's not. <laughs> this podcast is said today that Brother Tim's been teaching to us, and you'll quit cutting it, you'll quit burning it, you'll quit trimming it. And if you're one of those that says, well, preacher, you know, it, it's cut off to your shoulders or it's super, super short, obviously you can't tape it back on. <laughs> Just quit cutting it. Yes. Quit cutting it. Or submit to God. Find a distinction between the men around you and worship. Men, same thing. Submit to God. Find a distinction from the ladies around you and worship. It's not about hair length. It's about those three primary issues. And Brother Austin, there's two things I want to say right there. Number one, a woman may come and get saved and she has cut her hair. Um, we ought to know it don't grow overnight. Yeah. Well, her question may be, well, I don't have all my covering. I cut it off. Yeah. So can I ever be right with God? That's not the covering. The covering's the covering. And I feel like the answer for that is yes. Yeah. Don't cut it anymore and let it grow. And God will look at it as if. He cleanses he, us you, from all sin. Of the thing of all. The, but cutting the hair is a sin, brother. That's not the sin. You're, you're making a mountain from a molehill. 
You're making something that is not a sin into a sin. Think of the past. I agree that, yes, God cleanses from all sin. Absolutely. Submission, distinction, and worship. So if they're they're in rebellion, or if they're blurring gender lines, or if they are not worshiping God or are worshiping a false God, those are the sins. And just let it grow from there and go on. And don't let the devil torment you about that. Oh, there's a devil. Don't beat yourself up about it. Let God's grace take care of it. So just let your hair grow from here. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention is, I, and I said this earlier, there's a spiritual element in the hair. If you go to Revelation chapter 9... Oh, this is great. This is great. I, I hope you guys... I'm at an hour and 36 minutes right now. I hope you're still listening because this is this is good. <laughs> Can't wait. Listen. And you find the locusts that come up in the tribulation... And the Bible describes them, and one thing he says is that they had hair in Revelation 9-8 as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. But in verse 8 or 7, he said they had the faces of men. So they got the face of a man and the hair of a woman. It is a matter of a spirit, a demon, that is mixing the two genders. I'm a man, but I'm a demon. I'm in rebellion. I'm going to have hair like a woman. It is a matter of rebellion. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is why people hate fundamentalist preaching. This right here. (laughs) This isn't just eisegesis. This is mega eisegesis right here. He's going to Revelation, to John's apocalyptic writing. And it was at chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. And is going to talk about these beasts that come up with men's faces and long hair like a woman. woman. And and is going to try to tie that back into Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 11 to a complete different group um, in a different time frame. There's a few years difference between these letters and their time of writing. And he's going to do his best to say that one is is in conjunction with the other. Mega eisegesis. He brings that meaning with him to the text in Revelation. I've never in all of my life heard somebody use that to preach against women cutting their hair. Never. (laughs) He's making this up. (laughs) There's no possible way that John and Paul had one another in view when they wrote these letters. There's no way There's no way, specifically John, when he sits down to write the Revelation and he pins these words, that he has 1 Corinthians 11 in mind. This is just bad Bible study. (laughs) Let's move on. When we will not accept 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and when we resist... I will accept 1 Corinthians 11, and I pray and hope that you as a listener do too. We accept it. We don't accept your interpretation. We think you're wrong. That and fight that. It is rebellion in our heart. It's no, that it's same spirit that's driving the demonic uh, spirit of Revelation chapter 9. And I don't want that spirit. I want to have growth. power on yeah. my head because of the angels. Better grow your hair out. Better grow that hair, bro. Because <laughs> if you want power on your head, that's what, according to you, that's what the hair is. Better grow that hair. Have power on her head because of the angels. I don't want that demonic rebellion spirit. Neither do I. No, I sir. I do not want a spirit of rebellion in my life. I want to be faithful to God. I want to live right, and I want to be pleasing to God. I pray that all the time. Right. Practically every time I pray, God, let me be pleasing to Here's something. Okay, I'm going to pause right there and say that I, I I hear the sincerity in the voice. I believe that. I think that is is both Austin and Tim's uh, desire is to please God. I don't think they're they're attempting to not please God. I believe that, 
And I just want to echo that sentiment. That's my desire. And that's my prayer. God, I just want to please you. I just want to honor you. Everything that I say and do. Um, however, we've landed on this completely differently, brethren. It's not that I'm rebellious or you're rebellious. It's that we're looking at this totally differently. And I, I see a grave danger in the way that you are presenting this to people that likewise share your desire. And it's a longing, a longing in their heart and life uh, to please the Lord. They wonder, what do I do? How do I please God? I want to, but I'm struggling because I, they hear this type of preaching and teaching and they struggle because they may or may not want to cut their hair, but the hair becomes an issue. The hair is the issue and they, and they don't focus on submission, distinction, and worship. They miss all those things. So yeah, we all want to please the Lord. Let's, 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 let's move on. We're, we're coming down to the end of this episode. Else that um, I, I want to bring up, and I'd like to talk about it here, and that is the topic of dyeing your hair. Oh, Now, when great. we talk about dyeing hair, I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, I want to be careful, but what, what we're seeing in the church today, mm-hmm. you know, we're not seeing folks going from black hair to blue, going from brown hair to red, or green, or pink. I mean, just a few minutes ago, you were talking about some dude coming to Taco Bell and was a sissy because he had his hair dyed a certain color. <laughs> but I guess he wasn't in your church, right? So get back. Get back, devil. Devil with your colored hair. That's a very obvious dying. Mm-hmm. But what we are seeing is, and that's something more that other women can point out, because it's mainly seems like it's on women and not men. I mean, I may be wrong on that, but just in my my experience, and I'm sure it's being done on both. Sure, I, I know that, but okay. I'm just saying it's not so much going from those crazy colors, but it's hey, I'm a little bit. I've got too much gray hair, and let me dye it back black a little bit. So, or let me go from brown to lighter brown. Let me look a little bit younger, mm-hmm. just enough to where it's not hugely noticed but you're still dying the color of your hair. Yeah. Well, if you look at men, most men are not super caught up in their appearance. Right. You know, there are some that are vain, that are prideful, that are worldly. If it goes gray tomorrow, so be it. Yeah, who okay. cares? I'd rather turn gray than turn loose. Amen. You know, it's all right. My brother-in-law, the other one on this podcast, Zach, he's 20, see, I think he's 29 now. Mm-hmm. He's got more gray hair than... I mean, he's got gray hair everywhere. Gray okay. must be a lot of wisdom. He's not pulling out the he's not pulling out the bottle and making right. it go black black. But women, it seems like that they struggle with yeah. that. We know that. You don't ask a woman her age. You sure don't talk about their weight. You you just yeah. you leave those things alone. Death wish. Yes. And the reason is they have a um conscientious feeling about that. So when a woman starts to turn gray in her hair, she wants to fix that. But the Bible said in Isaiah 29, and again, the Bible answers our questions and sets our beliefs. Here we go. Isaiah 29, he said this, um, shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not, or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding. So what he is talking about here is the creation, looking at the creator and saying, you don't know what you're doing. Okay. Okay. More mega eisegesis. Like they are destroying the context of scripture. Shame on you, fellas. I mean, again, if you if you were young and inexperienced, I'd give you a pass because you're just being foolish. But 
admittedly, you, you told all of your years of pastoral experience and teaching at Bible college and all that stuff. You should know better. You just destroyed this text. Isaiah 29, 16, Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing formed, framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? That's the passage, the verse in isolation. But if you look at the context of this passage, Isaiah is writing and pronouncing a woe upon Jerusalem, and in some years down the road after his prophecy, Jerusalem would fall. Nebuchadnezzar would ride in and carry off the captives for 70 years um, into Babylon until under um, King um, Cyrus. Cyrus? The Persian? Anyhow, they would, they would be released to go back from captivity in sort of the days of Ezra and of Nehemiah. Why am I thinking Cyrus and not getting that right? Anyhow, it's in Daniel. Go read it. Uh, it's in Ezra and Nehemiah. Go read it. It's in there. Um, <laughs> they would be released later on, but he's pronouncing this woe, and they would come and be invaded, the Babylonians, captivity, very famous uh, time in the nation of Israel, uh, a lot of eschatology involved with that. So Isaiah 29 is a woe against Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to come, he's going to destroy. This has nothing to do with dying of hair. Nothing. Let's read a little bit. Let's, let's expand the passage, okay? And I'm going to read the entire chapter. But rather than just verse 16, let's jump verses 13 to 17 and get a little better picture of what the prophet of God is saying to Israel. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near uh, to me with their mouth, and their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. So when he says marvelous work, he's not like, yeah. He's like, no, it's going to be bad. The wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And they do. Read it in the book of Ezekiel. They think they're hiding from God, and God is speaking to Ezekiel with the captives down by the river Chebar and over about what's happening in Jerusalem to the south. <laughs> and they say, who seeth us? God sees them. Who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work save him that made it? He made me not. Or shall the thing framed say to him that framed it? He had no understanding. Is it not yet a little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? And the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? So he's letting them know, hey, I see what you're up to. Don't even try to say this has something to do with women dyeing their hair. In no wise... No wise does it. I've got to move on. Uh, battery's about to die on the camera. I want to finish this episode. Let's go. You don't understand where I'm at. Why did you make me like this? And when we look at us as the creation, when we dye our hair or we do anything cosmetically to try to just change ourselves because we want to look different, really we're looking at God and saying, you don't know what you're doing. You don't understand where I'm at in life. That is not what that passage is saying. Not at all. Just just open your Bible and read Isaiah 29. And if you think about how foolish that is, yeah. you wouldn't do it. Because God made you the way he wanted you. Fearfully and wonderfully, wonderfully made. made. In and the image of God. Yes. And I, 
I believe that we need to let God dictate what we look like. Amen. I want to let God dictate what I look like. Okay. Verse number 16, and this will be what we will end this episode with. 1 Corinthians 11. Yes, 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 16. Okay. And this is one that is shouldn't be controversial, but it is. And I've actually <laughs> had a person come up to me and quote me this verse and took it completely out of context that that's what Paul was saying. And <laughs> How dare they? That is not what Paul was saying. So I'm going to read it, then I'm going to tell you what I've heard by at least this one individual, and then we'll go from there. All right. So after Paul was writing, and he tells us here, and he says how we should have our hair and covering and all of that we've talked about, he ends this little discourse and says, But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Hmm. And so I made a slight comment on men having long hair in a message in passing. I did not dwell on it. I didn't explain it. I just made it in passing. Right. There was an individual in the church house that night that, excuse me, had a, had long hair, and it really fired him up. And he quartered me after church. And he said, well, you can take that scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, and you can read it. He said, but Paul said at the end of it, if any man seem contentious, if any man wants to fight about this and argue about this, he said, we have no such custom. He said, Paul said, I mean, he was, I mean, he was adamant. He was talking this fast. He said, but Paul said, if we're going to fight about it, just forget about it. If we're going to fight about it, just forget about it. You don't even need to do it. It ain't worth fighting over. <laughs> I don't think that's what Paul was saying. Not I agree. At all. Not at all. I agree with what, you there. What you're dealing with there is somebody that wants to be contentious, and you just let them be contentious. Let them argue yeah. with themselves. Yeah, he, he, he called me. It was a few years ago. He told me I was young and I needed to study more. Sure. Told me. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm sure that I am young and I do need to study more, but on yeah. that particular set of scriptures, Same he was here. dead wrong. Right. Well, even even liberal commentators, if you read them, they're going to tell you that what Paul is saying here is we, we do not allow contention. We're not going to argue about something. This is what it is. This is how it must be. But why would God take 15 verses telling us about our hair and then get to verse 16 and say, hey, if you don't like it, just throw it out? That God never does that in the Word of God. When God sets something, it is set. It is done, finished, final. But So when we get to verse 16, he is saying, if you seem to be contentious, we have no custom of arguing about the doctrine. Right. And really, we need to get back to that, to where we just accept what God's Word says, right. and we live it, we believe it, we practice it, and we don't argue about it. it okay, I agree with what they're saying, with the, with the words coming out of their mouths. What I don't agree with is is what their intent is behind that. They're not saying don't argue with the Word of God. They're saying don't argue with my interpretation of this verse. And that is not the point of the passage. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, or 11, verse 16. If any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Contention of the apostles' doctrine. Not Tim Brim. Uh, not two peas on a pod, not Don Van Zant, not the Lost Mission podcast, not your pastor or, or your favorite preacher. Um, no, he's talking about the apostles' doctrine, inspired scripture. We have no custom of being contentious about that, of saying that's not inspired, that's not of God. 
He actually tells the Galatians um, that if any other doctrine other than the apostles' doctrine is taught, that man should be accursed. So he has some pretty strict and hard words on um, going against apostolic teaching. So, And the New Testament is full of warnings about testing these non-apostolic teachings. Um, and Tim Brim is no apostle. I mean, he's just not. He's not an apostle of God. I'm not an apostle of God. So guess what? That leaves our teachings up to scrutiny, and we can disagree with those, and we can attest them against the actual apostolic teaching. Go back to the scriptures like we're doing here today and say, is that what God is saying on this matter? And we trust God. Okay? Uh, a couple of scriptures to bear in mind when we consider this. First uh, Timothy chapter 6 Verses 3 through 5, if any man teach otherwise, consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. I remember these guys saying at the beginning of the passage or the beginning of the podcast that uh, if you paid your tithes, God would bless you. Well, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. First uh, John chapter four, verse one, and man, this leads into a huge conversation on the antichrist and on antichrist spirit. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Don't believe every one of these guys, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We are trying this spirit today. We are coming against this specific teaching and holding it up to the light of Scripture and seeing, is it right or is it wrong? And I really believe it has failed the test today. So this is, this is probably the most dangerous portion of the episode because they're telling you just accept what we say. Don't you argue. Don't you question. If you do, you're contentious. I am submitting that I have every right and you have every obligation to test these words and to go back and say, is this brother a false prophet? Is he giving a false teaching? He's not an, he's not an apostle. We're not questioning the 66 books of the closed canon of Scripture. We're questioning the teachings of these men. So this is so dangerous because, again, back to Steve Hassan and his bite model, uh, behavior control, information control, uh, thought control, and emotion control. Um, This is information control. Allow only the leadership to decide who gets to know what and who needs to know what and when and how. Uh, This is thought-stopping. Don't you think about that. You just accept it. Don't you question it. Uh, This is emotion control, phobia indoctrination, because it it produces an irrational fear of questioning authority. And this is so very dangerous. Let's finish up the episode. It would help us on our standard of holiness to just get back to taking God's Word as it is and living it. Yes, sir. Take it as it is and live the Word of God. Well, thank you, Brother Tim, for coming on today. All right, that's basically the end of the episode there. Should we take the Word of God and accept it? Yes. Oh, please, accept the Word of God. Whatever it says, whatever it teaches, this book is it. Accept it. And this is a King James. (laughs) King James only, please. (laughs) You know me, I'm not King James only. But accept the Word of God, whatever it teaches. 
So this has been a lengthy episode. It's been a long one. My apologies. Um, I'll give a quick conclusion, and then we'll wrap it up. It's simply this. Be careful of who you listen to. Hold all claims, no matter how matter-of-fact they may seem, to the light of Scripture. Even when they quote Scripture, see if they're using it rightly. Learn to rightly divide the word of truth. And here's my heart. If you've been harmed by this type of teaching, as I know many that have, uh, I want you to know there is a Jesus. And he wants to heal those wounds. He wants to restore your heart. You know, that, 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 that call, come unto me, all you who labor, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I believe that call goes forward still yet to this day. Uh, look, we're, we're in a time in our country right now that's unprecedented, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. We're in a time of national revival when we think of the events at um, Asbury University and what's been happening there and in other colleges, and my heart rejoices in those things. So we're seeing a great revival take place in our country, and I do, I do believe part of that is largely um, due to the, the desire for truth amongst uh, Gen Z and the call and the cry for repentance um, that's come from this group. So, so if you've been harmed by this, realize and know that you're in a very particular place. You don't need to drive to Asbury. You don't need to drive anywhere. God can meet you at your local church, even at your house, in your vehicle, wherever. He can send revival to you and, and to your spirit. You can be healed, and you can repent of those things that, that you may have believed, like I've had to do, that were so false, that were so wrong, and I want to encourage us all to replace bad teachings with good. Don't just get rid of the bad. Replace the bad with the good. Find a gospel-preaching church. Find a church that preaches the gospel. Attend a Bible study. If your church doesn't have a Bible study, red flag. <laughs> Attend a Bible study. Pray sincerely. Go to a prayer meeting. Uh, and let's get back to our mission <laughs> of knowing and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you guys. Okay.